Last week, we saw how God revealed a very stark contrast um, in worldviews in Festus and Agrippa on one hand, and then the Apostle Paul on the other. In uh, Festus and Agrippa, we saw a life wasted on selfish pursuits. And in Paul, we saw a life that was worthy of the Gospel. He was a guy who God took and has encouraged so many people throughout time since his life on earth through his writings. And we learned that a life worthy of the Gospel is a life that first of all bears fruit, is growing in the knowledge of God, is joyfully persevering in all circumstances, and is expressing gratitude for the salvation that God gives us. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the calling. Bearing fruit, growing in your knowledge of God, joyfully persevering in all circumstances, and expressing that gratitude for salvation. Now Festus, like Felix and Lysias, can find nothing to write about Paul against the law. They don't have any charges. They have nothing. I mean, think about it. Lysias was frustrated because he couldn't find anything. Felix can't find anything. And now Festus can't find anything. And so he's hoping that Agrippa can help him find something. And the writer, you know, Luke, God through Luke, goes into great detail again uh, to bring out the fact that there's nothing that Paul is really guilty of except for what? Preaching the Gospel. The resurrection. And he does that because he wants people to know that the way is not about political insurrection or rebellion. Paul did no wrongs against the Roman government. Just like Jesus did no wrongs against the Roman government. All the charges against him were false. And this week... As we look at chapter 26, verses 1 through 18, we're going to see how God takes an ambitious murderer like Paul, and as he shares his story and turns him into an ambassador of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to make right, to fix, to amends. Fix is a southern word. I'm going to fix it. You're fixing, you know, you're going to fix it. But to make right, to repair. And that's what God's called you and me to be as ambassadors of reconciliation. Helping people who were enslaved to the power of sin and Satan turn to walk in the light and the hope of Jesus. And I was telling Dayton that it was so funny. God used Pat Wheeler to save my life physically. And He used me to save His life spiritually. And God will do that so often. And and I look back on that, and at the time, I didn't realize how impactful that would be to His family. Um, And so, as we look at this text today, we're going to cover verses 1-18. through I, I I want you to see three things in this text that God shows us in the text, one, how darkness perverts his truth. And darkness and Satan are synonymous, right? I mean, so just understand that when I say darkness, because that's the language he uses, it's Satan. Satan is the king.
king of darkness. He's the, he's the author of darkness. And so, and God shows us in the text how darkness perverts God's truth. Second, he shows us how darkness persecutes his people. So often we lose sight of the fact that it's darkness and Satan doing it, and we look at people and blame them. Whether it's family members, workers, doesn't matter. It's the darkness. And then, finally, we're going to see that God shows us how His people bring light to the darkness. And Paul. That, that's, that's, that's our purpose here. We worship God, but He leaves us here to bring light to the darkness. And Paul did that. He did that in a great way. And so this text today in Acts chapter 26 is the third time Paul's story is told. Which tells you something. Why It must be pretty important that God chose to put it in here three different times, right? And so as we read it, we're going to read starting in verse uh, 1. We're going to work through 18. And, um, and then we'll just we'll talk about it. But this first idea of the darkness perverting is truth. Um, you know, Jesus in John 8, when he was talking to religious people, people that were supposed to be the religious leaders, he said, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. So every deception that comes into the church, every false teacher, every false teaching has one source. And it's the father of darkness. It's Satan. And... And so, we're going to read, start in verse 1. Let's go ahead. So, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So remember, Festus had introduced who Paul was to Agrippa. Agrippa was, just a reminder, you know, Agrippa was identified twice in, this, in the 25 and once in 26 he'll be identified as Agrippa and Bernice. Remember who Bernice was? It was his sister that was also his, his sleepmate. Uh, so he was a pretty perverted guy. But that's no big deal. All the Herods were perverted. And so he's the last of Herods that will be sitting on the throne. And uh, he's there to evaluate Paul for Festus. Festus doesn't have a clue about Judaism. He doesn't have a clue about Jewish law, Jewish history. And so Herod, he goes, I know you can help me. Because Herod appointed the high priest. Herod was the king, even though he was an Idumean, he was an Edomite. He lived for himself. But he was the king of the Jews appointed by Rome. But he was really more of a Roman than he was a Jew. He was very tied in with Rome. In fact, when his dad, Agrippa I, died, he was in Rome. And then they appointed him to come down. And he wasn't really the king of all Jerusalem, I mean all Judea. He was a king really of the northern portion with some parts of it, like his headquarters was in Caesarea Philippi, which was up to the north. And so Herod is there, and 
he gives Paul permission to speak, verse 1. So Paul then stretched out his hand and made his defense. That was a, a gesture of respect from Paul to Herod. Paul was not bitter. He'd been in prison two years, but he's still respectful to authority. Even vile, immoral authority. He was respectful and he extended his hand. He says, I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So in verse 2 and 3, what he's saying is, listen, you're familiar with the customs um, and I'm, I'm glad I get to make this defense to you. He's, he's establishing rapport with Herod. He's, he's not building a wall. And one of the biggest problems a lot of times that we have as Christians is with non-believers, we build walls. We're not building bridges. And so he starts off, his objective is not to defend himself to Herod. Even though he talks about the defense. He's defending the Gospel. His hope is that Herod would be converted. And I think that's very significant. So in verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion I have lived as a Pharisee so this is his testimony his third time and he says I belong to the strictest party of the the Jews the Pharisees and all these people know it they would have known it wouldn't they a guy who was raised by Gamaliel as far as mentoring in the in the in the law of course they would have known that he says in my country Tarsus where he came from uh, Cilicia and even in Jerusalem, they know he had a reputation as being of the strictest party. In verse 6, he says, And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. He's saying, I'm on trial today because of my belief in true Judaism. <laughs> That's what he's saying. The law and the prophets, everything they said has come true in Jesus. I'm being condemned for believing in the hope of Messiah. Listen, the Jews had been looking for Messiah for a long time. Remember, 400 years of silence. And Paul's saying, I'm on hope. I mean, I'm on trial because of the hope that our fathers had has been fulfilled. <laughs> That's what he's telling them. The resurrection. And so, verse 7, the same promises. He says, This is the same promises to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly, earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I'm accused by the Jews, O King. The same promises that the twelve... Notice he says twelve tribes. What had happened to Israel? And, and guys, there's been lots of offshoots even <clears throat> religious sects 
there's groups today that talk about the ten tribes and the two tribes. And he goes back to the hope of the twelve tribes. There's a hope given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the, the twelve tribes, he mentions that specifically to them. But notice it says that they hope to attain. How did they hope to attain that? By works, by keeping the law. You see, for them, it was a matter of earning it with God. And Paul knew that wasn't the approach to take. Now, he didn't know that before the road to Damascus. But on the road to Damascus, God revealed to him, hey, you're going down the wrong path. This is not the way to go. And he, in verse 8, he says, Why is it thought incredible by any of you? And you there is plural, by the way, in the Greek. So he's not just talking to Herod and, and Bernice here. He's talking to Festus and all the other people listening. He says, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? How did Paul think we got eternal life at this point? How did he think we would be resurrected? For what reason at this point? Well, it wasn't by keeping the law. I can tell you that. He knew it was Jesus. He knew it was Jesus. Now, how did the Jews think it? It was the law for them. So there's two groups of people who want the same objective, but they think you get there two different ways. And the ones who keep you think you get there by keeping the law detest and hate. Remember, he was in jail for two years not doing anything, and they still wanted him killed. And so as he talks about this, though, we see how darkness perverts the truth. God allowed it, but Satan came in and basically the Jews... Were there people who believed prior to this time that you got there by the grace of God? By faith? Yes. Abraham. Yeah, there were other people. If, if Abraham had lived here, he would have been a believer in Jesus Christ as Messiah. What did Jesus say? He said, he saw me. That's why I wanted to kill Jesus. How, how, do, you, how do you say he saw you? You're, you're, what, 30 years old? And you say you saw him? And he saw you? No. Abraham would have been a believer. He would have been a follower of Jesus. David would have been a follower of Jesus. Samuel, a follower of Jesus. Because they were true Jews. True Jews believe that Jesus is Messiah. This is why, guys, it's so dangerous to go down the road to say that Jews and Christians believe in the same God. They don't. Because Christians believe in the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ. And Jews don't believe in Jesus unless they're Messianic Jews. And yet people get very, very angry when you talk to them like that or talk about them like that. They don't. They, 
They want to believe that we all believe in the same God. Well, it's the same God who is the father of Abraham. No. God the father of Abraham is God the father of Jesus. You believe in a God who is, you want to say is God the father of Abraham, but if he ain't God the father of Jesus, he ain't God the father of Abraham. That's your version of that God. That's the same as saying, like I, I told you before, I've sat on an airplane with a lady one time who said, well, my Jesus would never send anybody to hell. And I said, because your Jesus ain't the Jesus of the Bible. That's your Jesus. You don't get to dictate to God what He does. God reveals to us what He does. But the enemy always wants to pervert the truth. And the darkness comes in and it perverts truth and has from the beginning. Listen, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about false people that come into the church. And listen, that's whether it's Judaism prior to Jesus being here or whether it's the Christian church today. There are false teachers that teach a prosperity gospel. They teach a, a works-based gospel. They're false teachers. And listen, and in Corinthians, they were dealing with it then. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan, Satan himself, disguises himself as an angel of light. <laughs> So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise himself as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Listen, the darkness perverts God's truth. It always has and it, it will until he comes back and has the ultimate victory. And it's all eradicated. Second Peter, Peter writes, false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them. And guys, there is a movement today of people who said, oh, you can follow Jesus um, and you can be His and trust Him for salvation and He's not your Master. You can deny Him as your Master. You can deny the Lordship of Jesus, but yes, He's going to save you. Because it's just about Him saving you. And they pervert the Gospel. That's not the Gospel. They take an element of the Gospel and they focus on one element to the exclusion of the other. You cannot deny the Lordship of Jesus and be saved. You can't. It's impossible. It's two sides of one coin. His Saviorhood on one side, the Lordship on the other. One coin. When you take that coin, you take them both. You cannot deny one and be His. He won't let you do that. The Holy Spirit's not going to let you do that. Now, does that mean we understand every aspect of His Lordship? No, we don't understand it all when we come in. And it's a growing process where He grows our understanding and our obedience. But the issue is not our perfection at salvation. It's the direction of our life and who we're under. You're always going to be a slave to somebody. You're either a slave to darkness and Satan or you're a slave to Jesus. Amen. That's it. There is no such thing as freedom. 
You're, you're a slave to Satan or you're a slave to Jesus. And so this darkness perverts the truth. First Timothy, Paul writes Timothy, and he says, listen, Timothy, in the latter days, in latter times, some are going to de- depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. If it goes against God's Word, it's darkness. And it will bring nothing but darkness. There is no light spiritually when you get outside of God's Word. I don't, I don't care uh, how many degrees they have. I don't care what pH is in front of their name. You know, people, a lot of times, I've, I've heard PhDs sit up there and mislead people because they take stuff out of context. They've spent years studying in seminary, and yet they're deceived. And you know why they are deceived? A lot of times people are deceived because of personal experience or their own agenda. Do you think Satan doesn't tempt people like that? Go back to the garden. Don't you want to be like God? If you just do this, you can know what He knows. You can be like God. And if God really loves you, He'd let you do this. Yeah, yeah. If He did, that's right. They'd get us to question His love. But don't don't miss it, guys. Darkness comes in and perverts God's truth it has from the beginning back in the garden, and it does it here. And Paul is saying, listen... I was the strictest of Pharisees. I bought into this lie. I bought into it. And so, God shows us how darkness perverts His truth. But, we see Paul also explain that because of the darkness, it wasn't just the truth that was perverted. It ended up in that perversion causing the persecution of true believers, true Jews, people who were, who were Christ, trying to worship the God of the fathers, trying to worship the same God that Abraham worshipped. What should the Jewish leaders have been doing? They should have been praising those people, not persecuting them. But darkness always wants to pervert the truth and persecute God's people. He persecutes His people. Look in verse 9. Paul says, listen, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Now I find that interesting because God says, I I found a place for my name to dwell. That was a big deal. The name is the essence of. And so when Paul is saying, I opposed the name of Jesus. He's saying, I oppose everything about Him. Because I was convinced by this lie. This lie from the enemy. In verse 10, he says, and I, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death... I even cast my vote against them, which means the, the, it's the word for the little pebble there. That's how they voted whether to kill somebody or not. So Paul apparently 
had some ability to cast a vote for them as part of the Sanhedrin when he was doing that. He put him to death. You know what he's saying to them? To, the, to Herod and to even some of the leaders who were there with Herod uh, from, from Jerusalem? He's saying, guys, I struggled like you did or like you do. He's saying, I struggled like you do. I know it's hard to fathom. I, st- I was killing people. I was putting them in jail. Verse 11, he says, And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. In enraging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He says, I tried to make them deny Jesus, the one true Messiah. Every time I hear that, I think of John Monger. They told John Monger, deny Jesus, John, and you can go out. Deny Him, and you can be free. Or my friend Dawa over in India, his dad, deny Jesus, and you can be part of our family and have your inheritance. And they wouldn't do it. And Paul persecuted those people. And just like Paul persecuted those people, John Munger was beaten. Every time they would smack him, they would say, this can stop if you just deny Jesus. Because the enemy wants to persecute God's people. He persecutes them. And he says in verse 12, I went to Damascus. I was commissioned by the high priest. I'm going to foreign cities, he says. Not even here, but to foreign places. That's how zealous I was to persecute God's people. You know, Matthew 10, Jesus says, Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father is child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Over in, over in John 15, um, he says, If the world hates you, you know it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So if they persecuted me, then they're going to persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep your word. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. My name. Because they did not know Him who sent me. They did not know Him. So how can somebody say we worship the same God when Jesus Himself said they didn't know Him? They didn't know Him because darkness persecutes His people. And you know, over in Ephesians 6, and I know this is a favorite passage of David's, (laughs) says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You and I get duped a lot of times into thinking only about the physical here. And we forget 
that there is a spiritual battle going on always. Whether it's with our wives, our children, our friends, our workers. And people are being manipulated. Can Satan deceive a Christian? You bet. You guys fall in that category sometimes? I do. As much as I've read the Bible, as much as I've been on my knees praying, as much as I want to serve my king, I still get deceived every now and then. We can be deceived by the darkness too. The world system is His. He's been given temporary authority here. And it's dark. So should we really be surprised that some transgender person goes into a school and shoots up the school? Should that really surprise us? Should it surprise us that, that we're having drag shows in ch- libraries for children? Should that really surprise us? The immorality that we see around us, the darkness that we see, it shouldn't surprise us. And when we take a stand for truth, now you start to understand why they hate you so much. Why they hate Jesus so much. Oh, you can talk about faith. You can talk about your church. But when you say Jesus, people get upset. You can even talk about God in a general sense. Some people call God Mama Universe. Mother Nature. You know? The Great Spirit. Whatever. There's one God. His name is Yahweh. And His Son is Jesus. And when you talk about Jesus, you're going to upset people. I'm just going to tell you. And it's going to get worse. It ain't going to get better for us. And we're called to do that. And He's going to persecute. And so Paul says, he goes, I was on this road on the way to Damascus, and at midday, if you've ever been in the Middle East at midday, that sun is bright. Right? It is bright. And he goes, at midday a light shone that was brighter than the sun. It shone around me and those who journeyed with me. Verse 14, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the goads. You know what that means? It was a colloquialism that basically saying, why are you fighting a battle you can't win? Why are you fighting a battle you can't win? You know what a goad was? It was a long stick with a sharp end that they would use to poke the ox to get him going. And if an ox did it, well listen, you didn't want a short stick, right? You'd get a hoof in the face. So you had to have a long stick. But basically what that long stick meant was, I can hurt you, you can't hurt me. And so, God's saying, why are you fighting a battle you can't win, Saul? And Paul's telling him this. He's telling because he was out persecuting people and God says, Why are you persecuting me? 
He says, who are you, Lord? Remember, he didn't know who Jesus was. This shows the sovereignty of God. He didn't know who he was. Living his whole life for religion. Living his whole life aspiring to be the guy who works his way up into God's favor. And God appears right in front of him and he goes, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Well, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. No, you're not. You're doing your thing. Your thing is not God's thing unless your thing comes under His design. So, no, you can't be a female if you're a male. No, you can't marry a man if you're a man. That's, there's no such thing. Well, this guy was asked, I'm not kidding you, this progressive preacher was asked by somebody who has a question and answer session and it's on video, it's crazy. He, so his wife and him are like almost co-pastors and she brings a message to him and says, one of our people want to know, we're, you know, we're, uh, homosexual and we're in a marriage and you've been teaching against divorce so what do we do? If we're not supposed to be homosexual but we're married, what do we do? And the, the guy goes, hmm, let me think about that. Really? you got to think about that? You're not married! You can't be married! doesn't matter what the U.S. government says. It's what God says. God doesn't recognize a homosexual marriage. That's insane. And for a pastor of a large church, is a very large church, by the way, to sit up there and act like it's some kind of even possibility is a disservice to God's Word because He's perverted the darkness. The darkness has perverted the truth for Him. And so, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Imagine that revelation to Paul that day. And so, what happens? Well, God will use His people to bring light to the darkness. And guess what He said? Paul, you're my person. You've, you've been following the wrong master for too long. In verse 16, he says, Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you've seen in me and to those which I will appear to you. He's telling Paul, listen, there, there's four things seen in this testimony that weren't seen in the earlier testimonies in chapter 9 and chapter 22. The first thing was this kicking against the goads. That wasn't there right the second thing was is he said i i am appointing you a servant and a witness to what you have seen which is an apostle he saw the resurrected christ which was a qualification there is no apostles today in the sense of the new testament apostle uh, that, but Paul had seen the resurrected Christ. Remember when they selected Matthias to replace Judas? They had to meet qualifications. One was to have seen the resurrected Christ. Amen. And Paul saw him. So he said, 
the things you have seen, and he says, the things which you will see. So the future revelations. He's going to give Paul revelations about how Jews and Gentiles are one. That they, they, No Jew could really fathom that. He's going to give Paul revelations that will become letters he writes to New Testament churches. And so he, he lays that out in verse 16. But he also lays out in verse 17, he goes, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So delivering you means that God's got his back. Man, that's, that's the most encouraging thing in the whole passage to me. That God's got his back. I'm, I'm doing this, Paul. You're going to be unstoppable. How many times have we seen people try to stop Paul? How many times has he been arrested? How many times has he been beaten? How many times have people tried to eradicate Paul and God says, no, not yet. That Guys, that's why, and, and Dayton, this is what I learned in that bird strike, that until God's ready for me to come home, I'm immortal. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God is sovereign over that. So that was the third thing. And then the fourth thing, he goes, I'm sending you to turn sinners from darkness and the power of Satan to light and the forgiveness of God. That wasn't mentioned in the others. Remember in the other two testimonies, he said, hey, you go figure it out. You know, go, go meet and I'll tell you what's going to come. But here he lays it out. Why is he laying it out like this? Why did he use goads here? Why did he, why did he talk about kicking against the goads to Herod? Well, think back. Who was Herod's great-grandfather? Herod the Great. Herod tried to wipe out Jesus. Who was Herod's dad, Agrippa's dad, Agrippa the II's dad, Agrippa I, who killed James the Apostle and put Peter in jail. And then what did he see? He saw Peter released. <coughs> and what happened to Herod I? Remember? Worms yeah, he got eaten by worms because they're like, you're the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. And then he got eaten by worms. Listen, Paul, guys, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, he says, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against Him. Paul viewed his ministry from this point, from the point of where God called him from that point on as being a minister of reconciliation. And he turned every obstacle into an opportunity. And here he is in front of Herod, and he's laying this out. He wants to see Agrippa not free him, but come to Christ. And that's what he's doing. Paul, Paul says, he goes on to say in 6.2, now is the day of salvation. Now's the time. In 1 John 
John says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Guys, listen, think about this for a second. We've been talking about darkness and light. If you're walking down a dark alley in New York City, let's say you're up there on a business trip and you see 10 guys walking down the alley towards you, your first thought is, oh no, I'm in trouble. But all of a sudden, upon closer examination, you see these are 10 guys holding Bibles in their hands. What goes through your mind the moment you see they're all carrying Bibles? You don't see it as darkness. Think about that. It's not Christians going into schools and shooting up the schools. Yet we're hated. The darkness, the darkness perverts the truth, persecutes His people, but God's people bring light to the darkness. Guys, that's why we don't respond with hatred. They're like us. And Paul understood that. I was just like you, Herod. But now I'm different and he's telling him. Listen. He says, Paul was sent to open his eyes to turn them from darkness to light. Ephesians 5 says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. You know, when you don't know God, nothing, nothing makes sense. It doesn't. Marriage doesn't make sense. Gender doesn't make sense. None of that makes sense if you don't know God. But if you know God, everything makes sense. Not, that, that doesn't mean we understand why He does everything, but we understand the pattern of the world. We understand that yes, a guy can go in and shoot up a school because it's darkness. The enemy is the one that we see. We see that and we're exposed to it. So, as, as we see Paul who has his allegiance changed, let's think about our own life. Why did God save me? How is He using me to pierce the darkness in my world? How has the darkness perverted truth around me and impacted me? Am I, am I buying into any part of that? Because you don't have to believe that Jesus is not Messiah to buy into darkness. You can do it in a, in a other way. You can rationalize sin in your life. And we do a lot of times. How do I guard against that? Well, you got to be in the Word. you got to know the Word. you got to read the Word. you got to be on your knees. you got to be asking God. And you've got to be honest with God about your struggles. You can't hide them and act like they're not there. And, and just confessing to somebody isn't enough. That, that doesn't relieve you. It may make you feel better, but if you continue the same patterns of darkness ruling you in a particular area, you've got to ask why. What am I doing with the light God gave me? I promise you, if you will devote yourself to being a light in the darkness, those, those things that tempt you, those things that draw you into the darkness are much more exposed for what they are as you're trying to be a light to other people. And when you think about that, 
those questions I just asked. Is there anything in that that makes me think there's something I need to really repent of? There's something I need to own? There's something I need to ask God to help me with? So thank you guys for letting me go along. It's a, it's a, a lot of stuff. Uh, Chuck, will you close our time in prayer and then we'll...